Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and Whatever it is. <laughs> Get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another surferific episode of Fanholes Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, and I'm not alone tonight. I'm joined by a very special guest. He was kind enough to have me on an episode of FW Presents where we talked about Spider Woman. We are veterans of heroes con and the boston fan expo he is the host of cheers cast midnight the podcasting hour batman nightcast and the the late lamented power of fishnets and secret origins podcasts i am really thrilled to be talking to ryan daly hey what's up man Hey, Derek, I am just catching that cosmic wave right now. Nice, nice. Yeah, so so I guess we can let everybody in on, on what we're going to be talking about tonight. This is technically, this is Marvel, graphic novel, volume one, issue 38, but it is also known as Silver Surfer Judgment Day. And I know when, when I first encountered this, it was a hardcover graphic novel, and then eventually I think they released like a softcover edition, but it was it was on sale June 28th, 1998. And it, it, it's kind of cool to see that Mike's Amazing World date, because for me it brings back a lot of memories, because I, 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 I don't normally have like the the, the Michael Bailey memory when it comes to stuff like this. But like this, like the, 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 the summer of 88, I was visiting my, my mom's family. So we were on the East coast. We were in New York. We were like staying with them in Queens and everything. And I don't remember the, see, this is where my Michael Bailey memory fails me. Like, I don't remember exactly what the, the, um, comic shop was called like i'm not even sure if it was in queens or if it was in manhattan like i don't you know i was i was like 10 i didn't know where we were going i just knew there were trains and cars and i was staying with my grandma and i was staying with my aunt and hanging out with my cousin and all that kind of stuff but we went to one specific store and and i remembered that that's where i ended up getting this hardcover graphic novel and the store really stood out to me because i think I, I don't have it anymore, unfortunately. It didn't survive the Great Purge, but I think, like, I got an issue of Captain America, and I think it was either signed by Mark Grunewald or Kieran Dwyer or something like that, and then, like, they had this cool display case, and I remember being, like, totally fascinated with it, because not only did it have all the Marvel superhero Secret Wars figures, but it was the first time I'd ever encountered 
custom action figures. So they Jeez. took like they they took like the the Wolverine figure and it was customized to be D-Man. And they took the Captain America action figure and it was all painted like the Captain, which was like the ongoing like those were the comics that were like coming out at the time. And I I just thought that was, you know, I, I thought that was batshit, like crazy, because I was like, "Wait, you can do that? Like, you can you can make updated costumes and 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 they can, you know, that that kind of thing." And and I think there was like a specific sign where it was like, "This stuff is not for sale," you know, like that thing, because you know, all the kids are like, "I want the captain," you know, or whatever. Right. So that that was that kind of thing. But that that's kind of how I I guess I had encountered this graphic novel, and it you know it was not cheap. It had a cover price of fourteen ninety five. It had a sixty four page count, and just to go into the the credits, the the script was by Stan Lee from an original plot by Tom DeFalco and John Basima. The art, of course, was from John Basima, and it does list an artist from Vince Melcarrick, and the letters were by Philip Hugh Felix. The colors are credited to Max Scheel, which is actually Christy Max Scheel. Let's see. I think that's that's everybody. Oh, oh, the cover. The cover. Can't forget the cover. The cover is by, well, at least on the hardcover, the cover is by Joe Jesco, which is probably, like, one of the like the greatest covers in the universe, mm-hmm. I think, and 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 certainly like you you could not pass this up. I think if you just saw it sitting on a shelf or whatever. But I figure what what I'll do is for, for Shag Matthews, I'm gonna do the ten thousand foot level synopsis that's really short and sweet, and then I'll probably ask you kind of how you got into Silver Surfer, and then we'll go into like the the kind of full length type synopsis and talk about the the graphic novel. But the the 10,000 foot level is to save his planet Zenlaw from the world devouring Galactus. Norrin Rad sacrificed himself and became Galactus's herald. Galactus transformed Rad into the Silver Surfer, endowing him with the power cosmic and a glistening board with which he could soar the spaceways. The Silver Surfer serves Galactus no more. His place has been taken by a new herald the Fiery Nova. The Surfer is free to roam the universe as he pleases. That is, until he falls prey to a scheme orchestrated by his greatest foe, Mephisto, Lord of the Netherworld. When Mephisto captures the Surfer's soul, Galactus himself comes to rescue his former herald. The result is a clash of titans which shakes the very foundation of the cosmos. Even the Surfer is helpless before such matchless power. If Galactus should fall, the Surfer's own soul is forfeit. But yeah, that's kind of like the the high-level overview. But I guess I kind of discovered, I think, I'm I'm trying to remember, I think it was mainly through, like, like Twitter polls of, like, favorite characters and then Facebook posts and then I think eventually, you know, listening to different podcasts and stuff like that and the fact that, you know, we did Treasury Cast with Rob Kelly about Silver Surfer Black, so, like, the conglomeration of all those things, I think, you know, and, and our discussions about figures and different things like that, like, you know, it, it kind of clued me in like, oh, hey, Brian Daly, you know, is 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 a secret brother, as we say on this show. <laughs> he, 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 he has my same passion for, for Silver Surfer. So that, that was one of those things where I was like, he's a like-minded individual. I would love to discuss something Silver Surfer with him. And so when, when I asked you about this, one of the things you had mentioned was this graphic novel. And I said, perfect. Like, this is, this is, this is great. I, I do really enjoy the graphic novel and I figure it's something that, that I would enjoy talking about. But I guess, what about you? Like, what's your, 
origin story, I guess, specifically with Silver Surfer? Like, how did you stumble into him? Like, how did you, you know, where did you follow him to? And that kind of thing. Yeah, I will say that, uh, first of all, my my love and my real hard Silver Surfer fandom, which is an ascendant right now, is only a couple of years old. But when I first discovered the character, and I I usually do not have Michael Bailey's total recall for this material either, but I can kind of date it because it wasn't through comics. This is true for me for a lot of superheroes and a lot of comic characters. I think I first discovered Silver Surfer through the 1990 Toy Biz Marvel superheroes action figures. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The one with the little roll roll up yep, surfer board yep. and everything. Yeah. Um, a, a friend of mine, I was over at his house and he, he, well, he called me over. He's like, dude, you got to see what I got for Passover. And I was like, okay, what, what is that? And he kind of gave me the brief explanation. And then he showed me like, he got the entire first wave, which had Spider-Man, Captain America, the Hulk, Punisher, Daredevil, Silver Surfer, I think Green Goblin and Dr. Octopus. I think those eight figures were in the first wave. Um, And I knew who some of those, I knew Spider-Man, Captain America and the Hulk. I knew who those characters were, but the others were kind of new to me. And I remember kind of jokingly looking at Silver Surfer and Daredevil and being like, did they just run out of paint for these guys? Like, why are they so (laughs) out of paint? And also, I was like, dude, you got all of these things? This is awesome. Like, is being Jewish always this exciting? (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, "Um, more or less. (laughs) But uh, so that's where that's where I first discovered the Silver Surfer. And then didn't really see him much in the comics because once I got in, I mean, my very first comics were in 1990. No, sorry. My very first comics were in 1988, and it was G.I. Joe that got me reading comics, and then through the Batman movie in 89 and 90. But then once – I mean, I, I was a mutant guy. I, I was hardcore into all of the X books, and it was only if I had some extra scratch that I would buy anything else. So occasionally I would dip into Spider-Man or Avengers books and everything like that. But I do think in 1994 – and I know this because I looked it up – I got – Silver Surfer issues like 93 and 94. Okay. And I got those issues because they guest starred the Fantastic Four when the Scott Lang Ant-Man was on the team filling in for Reed. And it was just a thing where I liked that. I liked the look of Ant-Man. I always liked his helmet. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get it. So I got that look, not for Silver Surfer, but I liked it enough. And it was an interesting story. And as we'll kind of talk about with this one, that story was right after the character of Nova was killed off. And he's going back to basically, he goes back to earth to tell Johnny storm. Hey, yeah, yeah, that, I was going to say that's when, that's when Bart Sears did like a few issues of the yeah, artwork. Like he, right? was, yeah. he was supposed to be the, like the new artist. Like they made, like I, I recently reread them and like, they made a big announcement. Like, yep, he's the new like artist. I think he was on one and a half issue. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't last very long. Yeah. And then I, I think I stuck with the, book until issue 100 or something like that but it was yeah even then i was i was following it along like but it it didn't have the same emotional connection and i kind of forgot about it later on i would eventually start collecting the fantastic four essential editions where i really kind of saw the early days of the silver surfer and i didn't I wasn't really connecting with him. I thought he was like very kind of detached and there was just something about him. I was like, okay, I kind of get the metaphor that he is the angel of death who rebels against this old Testament God and is therefore condemned to be on earth and everything like that. And there's the torture and the pathos. I get it, but he was always kind of 
like just emotionally, I, I found it very hard to connect with him. I thought he looked cool. I thought like the just the design of just being all silver and sleek with this one interesting mode of transportation that you wouldn't associate. I was like, it, it's just got a, it's a great Kirby little thing. And then cut to 2018, I think it was. I had just recently started picking up some Marvel Legends action figures, the the new Hasbro version, and the Walgreens exclusive Silver Surfer is there. And I pick it up. And I was like, this is just a really badass looking toy. I like everything <laughs> about this. And after I bought that, I, I was like, you know what? All right, I'm going to give this guy a shot. So I went on Marvel Digital Unlimited. I was like, what's a good kind of primer piece and everything? And I saw the one shot by John Byrne that he he plotted and illustrated with Stanley again, scripting over it. And I devoured that. And that was that was kind of like the first time I really got a, a handle on his like origin and the 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 tragedy of the character. And I was like, I, I love this. And the art couldn't be beat. And then from there, I went back to the original series by Lee and Buscema. And I was like, this is incredible stuff. And then I leapt forward and I got the Dan Slott and Mike Allred thing. And that blew me away. You did all the primo stuff. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's really nice. You did you did a crash course of, of, of all the goodness, right? Yeah, yeah. So by the time we saw each other at Boston Fan Expo last year, I mean, I was, I was really hooked in. And that was one of the things about, because I think I told you maybe my best get at that con was I got a copy of Silver Surfer issue three, which is the first appearance of Mephisto yeah. for a not crazy price, considering the cover is ripped off the spine. I have the cover. It is included, but it's not attached. Uh, <laughs> so given the condition, it wasn't a, an astronomical crazy 404 figure. Yeah, above. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, since then, I mean, I, I've been kind of going back. I, I've picked up a lot of like the epic collections to read through the, the 80s and 90s series and uh, some of these other graphic novels too. Like I also have the Enslavers okay. and the, the Mobius one. I, I do actually remember seeing this on shelves when I was collecting in, in the 90s. But I kind of avoided the big oversized graphic novels. It was the same way with the Batman, like Son of the Demon, Bride of the Demon books. I just avoided them because as a kid, I was like, I don't know where I'm going to put that. <laughs> it's like it's like just the odd shape. I was like, it doesn't fit in my boxes or on my shelf or something. So I kind of avoid them. But as you said, the cover by Joe Jesco, it is like – the, the chef's kiss. Mwah, magnifique. There's a reason they gave that guy an entire trading card line for Marvel yeah. Heroes. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's my thing. So I, I would say I've known who the surfer was for 30 years, but I've been real like uh, a fan where he's like a top three Marvel hero for me now, really just within the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I like him. <laughs> yeah, I, I just to follow up on some of the things you mentioned, like I, I do, I adore this cover. Like this is, this is, it's one of those things. Like it, 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 it tasks me because there's a, there's a poster of this, and and I haven't like nailed it down yet, and I'm just kind of like I really want the poster version of this cover because it's, I. I almost want to say this is like my favorite cover, like period. Like I just like this cover so much. And I guess people that listen to to the fan hole shows, people know how much I love space. So for for me, I think the surfer always spoke to me. And and as we'll read in this, you know, he's kind of he's kind of a brooder and all that kind of stuff. And I think especially at you know I don't know ten to thirteen or you know my teenage years or whatever, like mm-hmm. I I tended to brood. Like I sort of got it. I understood, and I I I would sort of 
you know, stare at the stars and kind of wish I had a surfboard that I could like fly off on and do cool stuff on and all that kind of thing. So from that perspective, I mean, the surfer was always pretty compelling to me, even at a young age. The the, the weird thing about it, which which I guess I never really saw the, 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 this is how I pieced it together in History of Comics on Film, but I never really saw the, the Hanna-Barbera Fantastic Four cartoon until maybe... I was in college because I guess I just never saw, you know, I saw the Herbie stuff. So I never, I never saw the stuff from the sixties with the human torch. And on those, they were pretty faithfully adapted except for like the Namor stuff, you know, cause they replaced the character with different facsimile characters or whatever because of the Marvel superhero show. But I mean, other than that, like when they did Galactus and the silver surfer, it was pretty faithful to the original Lee Kirby run and everything, but I, I had never seen that, so I, I didn't have any concept of the character through other media. So, I mean, I guess, technically, it was a Safeway spinner rack, and I stumbled into Silver Surfer's 13 and 14, and that's like Nova and him getting blasted by Ronan the Accuser, mm-hmm. and then there's like a nice Mignola cover where it's like Surfer versus Surfer, and uh-huh. it turns out it's a scroll, and, and they do that whole thing. And I guess, you know, just based on getting those off the spinner rack, like, that really captured me and my imagination. And I think it was timed pretty well, because I think that was in 87, and it was, like, just just when I discovered comic shops as well. So it was like I was just getting weaned off, like, the local spinner rack, stuff like that. So by the time issues 15 and 16 and Ron Lim had started his run, I was buying the monthly book. I liked this so much, I went back and bought all the Marshall Rogers, you know, all the Steve Englehart, like, all the way up to 12, because I could have, you know, it wasn't like it was breaking the bank or, you know, at that time, like, and, and I was like, what? You know, like, that's that's the thing when you discover a comic book store when you're a little kid, you're like, you mean I can buy back issues? What? <laughs> you know, and I, I got all, you know, eventually, you know, I saved up my money and got all 12 of them. And then, and then I saw, you know, the volume two that you talked about with John Byrne. So I got that. And then this is, this is noob me. I didn't realize, like, I think back then I thought I was buying the original Buscema run of Silver Surfer, the Lee Busema run, but I was actually buying back issues of fantasy masterpieces. Yes. Like so 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 at the time I thought, oh wow, this is so great. I have all the original issues. <laughs> and I, I just I was buying fantasy masterpieces. I didn't know any better. It was like later I would I would stumble upon, you know, I think I had a few issues of of the original run at some point in my collection and stuff like that. And then, you know, like you said, you stumbled into graphic novels and different things like that. The, the, the Mobius thing stands out, you know, like that, that was something that I think was a big deal at the time. And I guess I'm trying to think, but I, I probably followed it up until when you discovered it like <laughs> that, that, that run. Like, cause I, I think, I think by the time, I mean, and this is, this is probably pretty infamous on, on my own show or whatever, but I think like, I'm not the the world's biggest Tom Greinberg fan, and I think once he took over the art, like, I I sort of skedaddled for a little while. And then I think once uh, Ron Garney and Tom Grummet came back to the title, then I sort of almost followed it to its ultimate completion that that third volume and whatever and then you know when when they would have miniseries i i was pretty faithful to it although i didn't like too many of them up until they started doing like 
the Annihilation, you know, Silver Surfer Black, the Mike Alred, like all those I thought were really, really good. But I think there were some miniseries, I guess, in the early aughts where I think my, my common complaint was, you know, where where's the Silver Surfer in this? I think it was like there was a miniseries where there's like five issues. And, it, it you know, I mean, I'm sure if you enjoy that kind of thing, I think it dealt with like a family and, you know, followed their story or whatever. And at some point, I think the Silver Surfer like pokes his head in or whatever. But to me, I was like, wait a minute, this is called the Silver Surfer, you know? So I didn't get it. But I mean, other than that, like, I, I think for the most part, I've been, you know, pretty, pretty faithful to, to following the stories and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and like you said, the, the seeing that Toy Biz action figure, I mean, for me, that, that, that's kind of one of those things that's in reverse because I love the comics. And then when, when they, oh, I started seeing him in media, that got me excited. So seeing the Toy Biz figure, I went, whoa, finally a, a Silver Surfer figure. Or like, you know, seeing him on the, the Fantastic Four cartoon or the 90s cartoon, you know, all those kind of things kind of got my juices, juices revving and pumping and all that kind of stuff. Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't let them I'm Ryan Daly, and welcome to... And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Dude, what are you doing? What? Give me those Star Wars as my show. Well, you're part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, so it's really our show. But if you show up on the promo, people will think you're the co-host. I'm not? No, the show will have rotating guests. You just took that idea from my Justice League International podcast. You took that idea from my Secret Origins podcast. And you took that idea from Dead Bothan Spies. That was my podcast. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I sang the theme song with you. So? So, technically, I appear on every episode. I'm part of the foundation of this new Star Wars show. That's... That's true. So, you want to take this from the top, or what? (sighs) I'm Ryan Daly. Join me and a galaxy of guest stars on Give Me Those, <coughs> including the irredeemable Shag, whose voice you will technically hear on every episode, on Give Me Those Star Wars. The official Star Wars show of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes and Stitcher and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. So I guess I'll do the the, the less than 10,000-foot-level synopsis of, of what we're about to discuss, which is Judgment Day. We open on the Silver Surfer soaring the spaceways, bemoaning the loss of his former love, Shalabal. The Skyrider comes across a mystical space warp guarded by three beautiful women. Cosmic Sirens, they try to tempt the Surfer into entering the Enchanted Portal. When he turns down their overtures, the naked beauties quickly discard their facade and attack the surfer. The Silver Surfer's power cosmic makes short work of the attacking demonic trio, much to the chagrin of Mephisto, Prince of Darkness, who seeks the prize of the surfer's very soul. On his journey throughout the cosmos, the surfer mistakes Galactus's newest herald, Nova, as a glistening meteor headed his way. Frankie Ray, also known as Nova, who had willingly given up her life on Earth to serve as Herald of Galactus, takes a moment to speak with the lonely surfer, and they are both onto a teenage girl and boy who have recently discovered the telephone. 
The moment passes and Nova's duty calls to locate a planet for her world-devouring master. The two race through the stars, and when Nova and the Surfer come across an inhabited world, she quickly parts ways with the Surfer so as to find another uninhabited world. As she does, Nova also comes across Space Warp, with three equally attractive males, who claim they were sent by Galactus as a reward. By entering the portal, Nova is now under the thrall of Mephisto, who will use her to spring his trap for the Silver Surfer. Instead of finding a suitable planet to sustain Galactus, Nova declares her love for the cosmic deity. Unconcerned with such trivialities, Galactus commands Nova to find him a world to devour. Now that Nova's thoughts have been clouded by the demon lord Mephisto's portal, she leads her master to the first world she finds, which is teeming with life. Though the planet Nova locates contains an armada of warships, they are no match for the demigod Galactus. He sinks into the planet, harnessing the energies from its destruction. As Galactus beckons Nova to locate more worlds, the surfer finds the survivors and dreads to hear that Nova has led Galactus to their world's end. As Nova signals Galactus to another world like a woman possessed, the surfer confronts his friend, she who could be his heart's desire. Quickly, words turn to cosmic blast exchanged, and Galactus himself ends the battle. Disappointed that the surfer's blasts have rendered the planet unfit for his consumption, Galactus maroons both Nova and the surfer on that same world. Once Galactus has left, Mephisto makes his presence known and agrees to free the surfer to stop Galactus for the price of his immortal soul. As Mephisto and the Surfer clash, Mephisto is ultimately triumphant, and in order to save lives, the Surfer relents and agrees to provide his soul to the Prince of Darkness. Only too late does Nova realize how Mephisto has clouded her mind and signals to her master with a cosmic flare. As Mephisto holds the Surfer captive, he reneges on his agreement, revealing his offer to help comes without any sense of haste. As the Silver Surfer struggles to break free of demonic slugs, the entire realm shakes and Galactus makes his presence known in Mephisto's underworld. Galactus comes to reclaim his former herald. Mephisto, not one to be intimidated by Galactus's great size, grows to match Galactus and fight him blow for blow. The entire universe shakes, and planets crumble and erupt as a result of the two titans' clash. Realizing their powers have come to an impasse, Galactus breaks endless struggle by threatening to devour the very realm of Mephisto. Mephisto quickly bids all three to take their leave, and the Surfer extols his thanks to his former master. The Silver Surfer, now free once more, takes to the spaceways to traverse through the endless wonder forevermore. And that, in a nutshell, is Silver Surfer Judgment Day. So I, I'm going to ask you thoughts, Ryan. Like, what what do you think of this? And and I guess in, in your little, I guess, reading history, when did you, like, I guess, when did you first stumble upon this in terms of, like, Surfer that you had read? I read this for the first time six months ago, maybe? Okay. I think maybe was it after we met at Boston Comic Con or before that? I don't I don't remember, but I, I was able to 
track this down, I think, on Amazon. I just got it through like a third-party seller or something for pretty good condition. The the covers of the 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 edges of the dust jacket are a little yeah. bent up, but I mean, all all things there. It's yeah, it's a good copy. So yeah, I it's relatively recent that I've read this, just within certainly within the last year, maybe like the last half a year. But I. I, I I like it. <laughs> it's a really yeah, awesome. um, yeah. for being a essentially like a one act with just four characters. It is big. It is sprawling, and it kind of hits most of the major themes that you associate with this character in kind of like the archetypal stuff from the original run that these two guys worked on. We've got, yeah. I mean with the exception of Nova, who was introduced later. But we've got his conflict with Mephisto, with Mephisto always wanting to get his soul. We've got the, the his his reluctance to get involved with Galactus, but ultimately needing to, needing his help or needing his backup or something like that. You've got, I mean, he, he refuses Mephisto's temptation up to the point, and then he does relent, and and he's willing to give up his soul. But then he fights back, and it's it, yeah, it's got a lot of the the same the the pathos, but also the splendor. And I don't remember if you mentioned this beforehand or not, but we definitely need to talk about just what is unusual about the art in this particular book, and and Buscema's approach to it. So I guess it's weird. There's some consternation over that, but I mean, essentially, it is a. Uh, you know, an all splash page, an all single image, with the exception of, I think, a single page, which has three panels. Then there's actually a double page splash later on. So I think it's, I think oh, it's yeah, 64 yeah, yeah. pages, 65 panels or something is how it breaks down. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess then, yeah, if you, if you look at it that way. So, so this is, this is an, a good point because, because there's, there's, there's a couple things here, but this is, this is my breakdown of it. And it's like, so, in the Stanley introduction, he says, there has never been, a, to my knowledge, true believers. No, he doesn't say that. But anyway, there has never been, to my knowledge, uh, a graphic novel in which all the illustrations are full page in size and further in which each illustration is treated like a typical comic book panel with its own proud plethora of dialogue balloons, captions, and sound effects. And that's in the, the introduction to to this graphic novel that Stan Lee wrote. Now, if you look on Super Mega Monkey's Marvel Comics chronology, because I'm going to mention this later, but if you look at his chronology, his take on it is he, he kind of goes, well, that's not really the case unless you want to split hairs about the term graphic novel, because he talks about Marvel Fanfare 29, which I think is the Hulk thing where, where uh, Scourge, Scourge of the Underworld talks to him, and he's, he's dressed like a... Native American, and they have a conversation or whatever. And then, you know, he brings up, like, the famous Walt Simonson Thor 380, you know, Midgard Serpent versus Thor and everything. And then, you know, I suppose after this, you can talk about... I was trying to think of, like, other things, but, like, the the thing that comes to mind immediately is post this is the, you know, Superman 75, where he fights Doomsday, because that's an all-splash page issue and everything. But my take on it is, like, well... I'm like, I was looking at the hardcover dust jacket flaps and like Stanley kind of specifically like, or at least this, this flap, I don't know if Stanley wrote it or not, but in the flap on the dust jacket, it says in this startlingly apocal issue, that's why I think Stanley wrote it. Marvel breaks the barriers of the graphic novel format, breaks the barriers. Of, so he says like graphic novel. And then, and then of course, this is probably what 
the the Marvel chronology at Super Mega Monkey takes issue with because he says now for the first time anywhere each and every page is a full sized illustration truly a feast for both the eye and the senses so I'm kind of like well you know they say graphic novel and and it's true like if you look at any of the Marvel graphic novels or even the DC graphic novels there was never any you know splash pages so I mean I, I guess a little of column A a little of column B you know like semantics like whatever but you know. I would err on the side that Stan Lee was always a pitch man and always a salesman and given to hyperbole. Whether or not he was factually correct, I don't know. I don't know if he even knew that those other books were out and had done the same thing. Right, right. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm actually positive he didn't. Yeah. You know? So I I think, I mean, maybe he thought he was telling the truth. Maybe he didn't, but he's just, he knows how to sell the the product. And that's just, yeah. 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 Yeah, And and they're, they're, I mean, these are all like beautiful pages. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, everything in this, whether it's got the, the double page spread, the three panels or the, the, you know, but, but the majority of them are all, you know, single images. And they, I mean, it's interesting because they, they pretty effectively tell the story. I, I, the thing I found fascinating, like, cause I'm, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't normally look at these things critically. Like I read this as a kid and then I adored it. I, you know, when you said, let's talk about it, I was like, I like this book. Like, yeah, for sure. And I think, when I when I uh, am looking at it, sort of analyzing it and everything, the the thing I found interesting was, and and I I'm not normally one to make this kind of statement, but I mean, I, I think the way Stanley dialogues this, it, it's almost like Shakespearean, you know, the 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 way, or or it's almost like poetic, mm-hmm. and and his his words are almost as beautiful as what's on the pages here. And then the way the, the narrator seems to change occasionally. I mean, the majority of the book, I think, is narrated by Silver Surfer, but there is that brief interlude where the narration boxes turn into Mephisto's thoughts. And I, I, I think that, to me, is interesting. Too. And the way, the way Lee uses those narration boxes to tie together story points that might not necessarily be on the printed page, but it, it, it feels pretty seamless to me, you know? So like, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I could be biased cause I have how much I like this, but I mean, even when I was kind of being a little analytical about it, I felt like this was extremely well done. Yeah. I mean, it's in terms of the writing and the dialogue, I mean, Stanley, he had this absolute vision and idea of who the Silver Surfer was. And it was the reason why he he kept on writing the Silver Surfer for like a decade after he stopped writing anything else and wouldn't let any other writer hardly yeah. ever use the Silver Surfer. I kind of think like once Steve Englehart took over the character, you almost had to approach him as a sort of eh, slightly alternate version of the character. Although, I mean, just, just as good. I think the best writers have still been able to tap into that. But you're right. There is this very very lofty prosaic uh, kind of like just like uh, drenched in in pathos and sorrow like prose when it comes to this character which is kind of funny like when you hear like how like the fact that 
Jack Kirby created the Silver Surfer without any input from Stan. He just threw him into the book. And then, yeah. like, Stan was like, what am I going to do with this guy? And then find out, like, later on that the things that Stan wanted to do with the Silver Surfer, Jack Kirby never intended and didn't necessarily even like or approve mm. of. It's it's kind of funny. But, yeah, Stan made this character. And I think after Spider-Man, Silver Surfer was the character that that – Stan used the most as his kind of closest to his heart because, you know, Stan certainly there was the, the reverence for Spider-Man as the hero and the adventurer that he wanted to be. But Silver Surfer was his voice to speak the the pain that he saw going on in society, his, his sort of moral soapbox and just his questions about morality and, and faith. And it's just, he's a a fascinating vessel for that kind of story, which is why I really think, I mean, given that he is, you know, existential cosmic being who rides around in space from planet to planet, and you would think it's so science fiction, who is the Silver Surfer's arch nemesis? It's the devil. It's it's like evil incarnate from like these very kind of like stereotypical like sort of Christian visual themes of like like Satan in a burning hell and brimstone thing. So I just think that's kind of this fascinating connection for the character. Yeah, and I, I, I what you were saying about the, that that Lee, you know, ultimately wanted to have almost like a absolute control of the character. Like, I mean, I remember that was even almost like some kind of PR selling point that sort of permeated its way. Like I, I remember hearing that as a kid, you know, and I don't know if it was somebody at the shop or my aunt or somebody, but it was like, it was like one of those things where it's like, Oh yeah. You know, like Lee came back to write silver surfer and, you know, not to, you know, like, I mean, it was a huge deal that they were even going to let Steve Englehart write the ongoing book. And I think, I think all that was kind of somehow, communicated i don't know if it was through osmosis or what but i i feel like that was something that was very i i don't know just that was that was definitely communicated like when you were when you were picking up this graphic novel or any of the the ongoing issues at the time like that that you know that was something that that he definitely you know, a character he shepherded and, and had a lot of, I, I think also that, that Mobius graphic novel, the fact that he wrote those and, and that I think there was that commentary running commentary through that as well, that like, Oh, you know, Lee back on silver surfer and that kind of thing. That one. Then also the enslavers one that Keith Pollard illustrated, because if you look at the introduction to that one, it really sounds like they kind of like had this kind of talk, like, Hey, let's do this. And then Pollard plotted it with maybe Tom DeFalco or maybe Jim shooter i don't know who he was or maybe mark grunwald i don't remember somebody else and then they kind of basically came up with a story and then stanley just came in a dialogue at the end and right. i think kind of like the through line through this you kind of see is that the artists or the other editors or the creators like by this point you know in mid to late 80s they were like okay we're telling stories with silver surfer but we in, in sort of deference to stan we will let stan be the voice of norin rad and really put that finishing touch because nobody else speaks that way yeah yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you have like a, a a favorite 
bit of dialogue or anything from this? Like, is there is there like a line or, or a passage or anything that like stands out to you especially or anything like God, that? I had something written down and I don't have that note with me, but it was I, I don't think it was the dialogue. I think it was in the caption. Oh, I think it's it's the captions on page fifteen as Norn and, and Nova are racing across the planetscape and just how can I describe the rapture of racing through the skyways of space? Where are the words that can let you share the emotion of transcending the speed of sound, flaunting the speed of light, passing hurtling comets as though they are rooted in space? How can I share the sense of overpowering awe that comes with the realization that you are as one with the infinite universe? I cannot. I will not try. Just stuff like that. Like, I really like that. And uh, yeah, I know there. I know there are some other ones, like some of the dialogue that he has, especially when he when Galactus comes back towards the end. But. Oh yeah, like all all that stuff. I mean, the, so much of it is great. I think I think just for me to to have some yucks and, and have fun. I think the one I wrote down is actually right next to your page, and and I love I love the the caption where he, he talks about Nova, and he says. As if to prove she is still woman, her mood changes as suddenly as a galactic storm. So I think I think anyone who is a man can totally relate to that little inner inner thought. So yeah, so I but yeah, all this is 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 super duper awesome. I mean, you know, and and I I guess you know I of course you know it's funny because I I saw a a post from Scott Gardner on uh, Facebook and I was like, I think he mentioned, he's like, can I go through one day without some asshole talking about how, you know, Bill Finger robbed Bob Kane or, or Jack Kirby got robbed from Stan Lee. And I, I think normally I am that asshole, but I think in this case, like th- this is one of those things where I think this was like probably the very first Stan Lee story I think I ever read like like because when when I when I because I I wasn't thinking about it too hard but like because I'm you know it's like I read a bunch of stuff off the spinner rack and none of that stuff was like you know I don't know like a reprint from Marvel Tales where it was like an old Ditko you know Stan Lee Spider-Man or something like that like that was never any of my early you know comic book reading like I think I think you know the the Ditko Lee Doctor Strange, like I read all that when I was in college. The the Amazing Spider-Man stuff, I think, you know, it's some of it in my teens with like trade paperbacks, but I, I'd say the majority of the, the Marvel Masterworks I ended up reading of that run, you know, were were close to, you know, high school college. And and so when I when I sat down and thought about it, the one thing that, that Silver Surfer turned me on to and, and the damnable Overstreet Price guy, <laughs> you talk about you were you were, you know, pleased to get uh, a copy of Silver Surfer three. I mean, the Overstreet Price guide, like that that's why like sometimes like we we did some episodes on Fantastic Four and I'm kinda like, I don't know if I feel good about like or I feel fair like I'm like I was like, I love the Fantastic Four, but then at the same time, I'm kind of like, am I really a Fantastic Four fan? Because all I did when I was a kid was I went through the Overstreet Price Guide and looked Silver Surfer app, period. Silver Surfer app, period. If any of those said Silver Surfer app, period, those were the ones on my want list. And I, you know, I went through and was like, oh, 70 to, to 75. Oh, he, he fights Dr. Doom. And, and I think it was in like the 50s or whatever. And then, and then, you know, the original, you know, it was 48, 49, and 50. And like, I don't think I ever got a copy of 
48, but I know at one point in my collection, I had 49 and 50. And it was like, those, those were the things where I was just, you know, and, and then sometimes like I scratch my head and go, I wonder why I never really got into the defenders. Cause you'd mm-hmm. think I would have, you know what I mean? But I, you know, again, you're a kid, you only have so much money you only have, you know, so, so much time. But I, I feel like all the, 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 old Silver Surfer appearances that I tended to focus on were from the Fantastic Four. So eventually, I would read other Stanley-written stories and everything. But I think, as far as I can remember, I, I think this was the very first one. And I guess, I guess, like they say, you, you never forget your first. Like, I mean, I, I guess I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much in love with this graphic novel. Like it's, it's, it's a good pick. I'm glad you suggested it. And, and I, I had a, a really good time, you know, revisiting it as far as that goes. All right. Well, since given you love it so much and we talked about the cover a little bit interior art wise, do you have a favorite page? I think but here, let me make it, let me narrow it down for you. You can't say one of the pages with the naked ladies in the beginning. <laughs> Oh damn it! I'm like I I, I want to say it would probably be it's it's hard to to choose just one. I I think it would be the one where he's doing his Captain Kirk monologue to the to the sky after he's marooned with Nova. Because mm-hmm. then see, I still I still get I still get a, a nice looking lady in my favorite one, <laughs> and and she's not naked even though she just kind of has a a golden sheen or whatever. But yeah, I, I like when he's doing his, his Captain Kirk to the space and he's just kind of <laughs> knelt down and everything, you know, like that's, that's, you know, I mean, cause the, the dialogue there is, is really beautiful. And then, and then the art too, as well, you know? So like, I, I, I think I, I'd, I'd pick that one cause that's, that's probably my favorite one. Like, like if you were going to spend like, you know, $3 million or whatever these original pages are worth, mm-hmm. like that, that's the one you'd, you'd go to the auction and keep raising your, your little uh, number or whatever on, I think. I like that one a lot. I also write at the beginning, page four, like if there was like get the original art or just get that blown up without the captions as a poster or something. Mm, it's just, you mm. know, kind of a wide, a far shot with like all of the things in space, you know, the different planetoids and stars and a nebula, everything yeah. behind. I love that one. Uh, strangely, I mean, it's, it's not silver surfer specific. It doesn't have any of the characters, but page 26, the, the planet scape with everybody evacuating as Galactus is about to destroy it as just a science fiction piece. Mm. I, just, I love that page. Yeah. Just all the, all the spaceships yeah. like rocketing from the planet and everything. I mean, I, I, I think the other thing too is like this, this, I think, was probably the first time I saw Galactus like devour a planet. Mm-hmm. You know, so like that, like I, I, I love all that stuff where he's like sinking into the 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 planets and then and then feasting on the energy and everything like that. Like we're saying, it's it's hard to pick, but like that one, the one on page sixty where Galactus is like sinking into the underworld, like that's that's a pretty boss like shot there because it's it, it's kind of like it's kind of like galactus's version of the the page of the surfer that you liked on page four mm-hmm. it's kind of a wide shot and you can see like the entire environment and 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 know exactly what's going on in the surroundings but you also have a focus on on the i guess the primary figure in the piece too so it's 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 all i mean yeah, it's it's all really nice. Yeah, I I, I kind of didn't mention it, but the evolution of 
artists for for the Silver Surfer as I kind of discovered them. I mean, for the longest time, I knew for the longest time, like even though he wasn't the artist when I was first reading them. Or, well, yeah, no, within within the issues that I was collecting, I did see him like that. I kind of had the Ron Lim version of the Silver Surfer in my head for a long time, mm-hmm. just as that style that sort of overly muscled the way he drew them. And then after reading the Essentials and seeing the original version, I, I thought of the Silver Surfer as the Jack Kirby version. And I thought, well, the Kirby creation, that must be the definitive version of the character. And that was how I thought of him for like 10 years. And then after getting the toy and everything and checking out that, that John Byrne, the one shot from whatever, 80 or 82, whenever that came out, then I was like, oh my God, he looks so good in these pages. He looks great. He's, yeah. he's lean. He's sleek. Like this is, this is great. Like this, this has got to be the perfect Silver Surfer like body and everything like that. And then going back to the volume before that with the John Buscema version, I was like, no, this is it. I was like, it's like, it's a little bit Kirby, a little bit burned, but it's like the best of both worlds. But then by the time I got to the Mike Allred version too, I was like, this is such yeah, a good yeah. Like I, it's hard for me to like every, every artist brings their own little version to, to whatever the story commands. Even the, the uh, trad one that we just talked about with Rob Kelly and the yeah, treasure, yeah, the yeah. Silver Black. I mean, it's, he is, for having such a simple visual look, he just really lends himself to artistic talent that can really make him their own in, in really interesting ways. I guess still on the art track, I, I will reveal my little ominous mention of Christy Max. So this is I, I had to figure this out because I was like, wait, why? I was like, why is one site crediting as Christy Shield and another crediting as Max Shield? And I figured there'd be some kind of story behind it or something. So basically, if you go to, this is on the manwithoutfear.com, because Christy is interviewed there, because mm-hmm. she was a colorist on Daredevil. Basically, the, the short explanation is, she began using the Max Shield pseudonym as a tribute to letterer Dan Crispy, who once nicknamed her Max after a really short haircut. She only meant to use it for the month after he passed away, but many of her editors, not understanding the context of the name, continued to use it. And so here's a little soundbite from the interview. They say, to this day, there are still people who don't know Max Shield is you. Is there a story behind the nickname, or was it something you always had? She says, I got my hair cut short, punk style, one day, 1982, question mark. And when our most loved Danny Crespi caught sight of me, he said, you got your hair cut. You look like a boy. I'm going to call you Max. And he did. When he died several years later, I asked my editors to use a Max Shield credit that month, and many just continued to do that. Yes, I had folks later say things to me like, well, Max is a good colorist, but not as good as you. Funny. So so that's that's the, the story behind that. Going back to I, I mentioned Super Mega Monkeys Marvel Comics Chronology, which is is a pretty cool site. And this is something where he he has a headache, I think, with where this book goes in continuity. And I think I don't understand the headache, but we'll, we'll we'll go through what he thinks, and then and then what my magical solution for him is. Basically, this book, this graphic novel, actually has a footnote, one of those little asterisk editor's notes, that's referenced in Silver Surfer sixteen, which came out right around the same time. But on Super Mega Monkeys Marvel Comics chronology, he says chronological placement consideration. 
Revelations. This was published in 1988, and there's even a vague footnote to it in Silver Surfer 16. However, based on Nova's characterization as someone who needed Mephisto's influence to feed life-bearing planets to Galactus, the Marvel Comics chronology decided to push this further out in the same gap during Silver Surfer 28 that Silver Surfer Annual 2 occurs in. Or I guess the Marvel Comics, maybe it wasn't him, it was like some Marvel Comics MCP, I don't know, Marvel Comics Placement? I don't know what that stands for. Anyway. Marvel Chronology Project. But he says, I really resisted that idea. It's not my job to fix characterization. This story was written in 1988, and based on a footnote, it was intended to occur at some point prior to Silver Surfer 16, so that's where I should have put it. But it turns out there's a basic logistical problem to placing it prior to Silver Surfer 16 anyway. After the Silver Surfer is paired up with Nova in Silver Surfer 8 through 10, they're pretty much together until the Surfer departs for Earth in Silver Surfer Annual 1, which takes place directly between Silver Surfer 14 and 15, he says, with no room for breaks. And Silver Surfer 15 runs into 16, which has the footnote. When the Surfer leaves Nova in Silver Surfer Annual 1, she specifically says she's returning to Galactus for the first time since he sent her away with the Surfer to locate the Contemplator. So based on all that, he says, I may as well go with the MCP's placement after all, putting this during Silver Surfer 28. Now, my commentary on that is... I can understand where he's coming from if he thinks it's like some kind of characterization faux pas, but I mean, as far as no room for breaks, like, that annual, like, they part, and then it says, like, they separate in annual one, but that's before the actual story starts in annual one, because... There's a caption that basically says, it's like, she's like, all right, see you later, Silverado. And he's like, okay, farewell, Nova. Like, my heart will pine for you forever, or whatever he says, right? And then and then it basically says, one week goes by. And then he runs into the Eternals, mm-hmm. the mega movie stars, the Eternals, and, and goes and meets the Super, the scroll, super yeah. scroll and all that other stuff, right? And so my thought is, like, w- there was a whole week. Like, this can this graphic novel can take place sure, in a week. Yeah. Like, they were separated, they reunited, and then by the end of this, they're separated again. So, to me, I mean, it, it, to me, it seems like it all kind of works, but that, that was my, my thought on it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I care less and less about making sure everything fits on the tight chronology as I get older. But it's yeah, just... yeah, yeah. I, I, I just yeah. thought it was something worth bringing up because it, it, it's something, you know, like you said, we're, we, you know, we're, we're analyzing and, and looking at the minutia of this and everything. I mean, I, I don't think that ever, ever made any impact on me per se. Like, I think at the time I was getting into comics, I, I, you know, of course I loved all the little footnotes that said, Oh, you know, it made you feel like, Oh, you know, you were, when I read Silver Surfer 16 and it referenced this graphic novel that I had bought over the summer, like, I was like, Oh, cool. Like, I'm, I, you know, you, you felt rewarded. Like, I I know what Mm -hmm. that is. Like, like they made a reference to something. I, you know, I, you know, I'm Captain America. I understood (laughs) that reference, you know, like I, I know what that is. So I was, I was, I was super happy about that. I don't think I ever owned the soft cover of that though. You know, I, I didn't, you know, feel the need to, to get a soft cover version of it, but I think, does that have, like, is that a, I, I'm trying to remember, like, who drew the cover for that, or was it a Bosima cover? I don't know. The one I'm looking at is another Jusco. It's a it's a uh, part of a, a larger poster. It's it's a giant shot of Mephisto, like, sort of towering over over Silver Surfer, but it's from yeah. a larger piece, and it's by Jusco. It's got his signature in it. You can see it. Well, yeah, yeah, I can see it now yeah, in the yeah. larger image. You can see his signature. Like, that is Jusco. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah, I can see it because it's right below the surfboard. Like it's yeah, okay, all right. So they're both they're both Jesco covers. I still I still like the hardcover one the best. I actually did want to pick your brain about one other Silver Surfer topic before we go because this is just something that's sort of been on my mind. Okay, who do you think is Silver Surfer's best love interest? Oh, that's so tough. I mean, it, 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 it seems like, I mean, he's always, like, we have the joke on the fan holes. I mean, shallow ball, right? Like, you, 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 can't, you can't go five minutes without pining over shallow ball, right? But, I mean, I, I grew up reading when, when the, the, the green version of Mantis was, like, his girlfriend on the surfboard, you know, the Englehart stuff, you know, and Nova and all that kind of stuff. And then I think, I think you know, it's like, I, I, I think I would be willing to skip most of the other, like, I know there was, like, you know, the period where he was kind of with Alicia Masters or whatever, like, during the, I think it was the Ron Garney stuff and whatever, and there there were some other instances. I, the the only other thing, though, is, like, you know, I, I had Dan Slott sign that issue when we were at mm-hmm. Boston mm-hmm. Fan Expo. Like, I love Don Greenwood. I mean, I mean, that's, I, I, I think, I think, you know, it's, it. I, yeah, I, I got Slott to uh, sign one of those issues, too, yeah. That's so tough. I mean, I guess. I mean, the, the, like, I, I, I'm like, I did the four. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, like, if you're just gonna go with the classic thing, you know, like, you probably pick Shell Ball, right? Because that's that's the the person he he. I mean, her along with his entire planet is who he he became the Silver Surfer for. But then that 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 one issue where he lives out his greatest life with Dawn, like that's that, that always kind of touched me especially. So, and that, that was like, I, I think I put that as like my favorite comic that came out that year or whatever. So yeah, I think, I think if I'm doing classic, I'll, I'll do shallow ball. But if I'm, if I'm doing like modern type stuff, I think, I think I'll have to give it to Don Green one. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I genuinely go with more classic ideas. I, I tend to resistant to put modern comics on such a pedestal, but I would say uh, from what I've read, Dawn is absolutely my favorite. I just think that their love story is so amazingly told through those stories. and It's like the most romantic comic I've ever read. Going through the others, though, I mean, I, I like Mantis. The thing about Shalabal, I, I, I love her as part of his story, but for me, that's the, they can never be together. Like, that is the conceit. Like, right. he can yeah. never have a, right. a life with yeah. her. He can always pine for her. He can always, oh, Shalabal, like, as we're joking and everything, like, in, in the cartoon. Yeah. But yeah. he cannot have her. That breaks the conceit. She is she is part of his origin story. He gave her up. She is she is the human, the, the human sort of representation of what he lost with Zen La. And that was the cost of becoming the Silver Surfer. And in order to save her, he had to lose her. And if they ever break that, and if they ever get together, then it's basically, no, I I think you're fundamentally breaking the covenant with the character. She has to be forever out of his grasp. Now, you can still tell great stories about him mourning for her and wanting her and, like, fighting for her. But it has to be it has to be somewhat uh, detached. The one that we haven't been talking about though that I wanted to come to because it was kind of my one thing with this graphic novel is Nova. I'm gonna be honest, I never really cared for Nova that much. I I think she is an interesting character personality wise, but what what did, what kills it for me is I'm really bored by her physical appearance. 
I think it's just it's mm. it's such a generic design compared to other things. It's like okay, she's just kind of silvery, kind of gold, but she's covered in like a halo of flame with fire hair. It's like we've seen that with more interesting characters from Phoenix to Starfire to everybody else. It's just not a really unique design. I think when she's partnered with Silver Surfer, it looks boring by comparison because he's at least got this unique board. Why doesn't she have a board? She just flies because she's on fire. So it's it's a thing where I, I want to like her because I like her story and how fresh and, and kind of wide-eyed and innocent she was and what that did for him in the beginning of his story. But it's just, I look at her, I'm like, couldn't you redesign her? Make her look more like Airwalker or anything else. Something, give her weird butterfly wings or something. Like <laughs> some other kind of design for a herald. Mike, you heard it here first. Like Ryan Daly's like, wife, dress up like Airwalker. That's what that's what does it for me. No, I don't I, I don't know. Like I, I see what you're saying. Like I get it. Like that's that's that makes sense. I mean I, I can see it, it's like I think I enjoy her in in the ongoing Silver Surfer run, but I think I think what this graphic novel, maybe to bring it back to it, kind of spells out is that the conceit of Nova is she's in love with Galactus. Like 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 that's why she agreed to do it like i mean silver surfer can be lonely and silver surfer can can take enjoyment in her youthful exuberance in in their connection i mean it doesn't mean they don't have any connection cuz they do but i think it's kind of like i i guess you know i think why we keep coming back to maybe don greenwood is cuz that relationship kind of worked yeah. Like it worked out. I mean, you know, they, they, they lived it. They, they did it, you know, like, like, whereas I think like you're saying the conceit of Shalabal is that was someone who it was his first love and he had to give up his first love so that she could live and his whole planet could live. And that's the conceit of that. And if you're going to, you know, that kind of tragic backstory like that, that works and you can pick that character. But I think, you know, it, it, I think with, with, with Mantis, I mean, you know, this is, you know, I, I don't mean to use negative terminology, but I, and, and I like the character Mantis, but I mean, I think, I think that's a case of, of Engelhart using a pet character and inserting that into his story and it worked just fine. But I think, I think that's it, the minute Engelhart leaves the book, you know, Mantis pretty much leaves right, the book. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so it doesn't, with no one there to champion that character, there there wasn't too much more that they could do with that. I think maybe with Nova, I mean, at least that had the advantage of, you know, John Byrne wrote her in Fantastic Four, Englehart wrote her in this, and then, you know, I think Jim Starlin continued to have her involved in the stories and everything. So that at least different people carried on the character. Now, whether that was through the 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 power and and strength of Galactus that oh we we need to have Galactus's herald when Galactus shows up I don't know but I I feel like at least she she carried over as a character to to more of the run but as far as like a romantic interest I see why like you'd want to mention her but that why she would never be the the one or the top tier or anything like that because I think I think there's there's a lot of conflicted kind of feelings and, and, and loyalties and, you know, in terms of, you know, well, who does she pick? Does she pick Galactus right, or the right. surfer? Right. Like, and, and most times when push comes to shove, it's going to be Galactus. Oh, she's got some weird daddy issues, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we, we discussed that. Like that's, 
that's a that's a cool thing unexpected but that's all i got i mean thank you for having me on the show because i i mean i, I didn't need an excuse to go back and read this again today but i'm glad i did so <laughs> awesome awesome cool yeah no i i i am i am clearly pleased because i i haven't i haven't revisited this in a long time myself so this was this was delightful and and then i'd just like to give you an opportunity is there anything you'd like to, to pimp promote propagate you know would you would you like to tell people where they can find you out there on the interwebs yeah you mentioned most of it at the beginning of the show but i am a proud member of the fire and water podcast network which you can find at fireandwaterpodcast.com we have a whole network of shows there covering comics movies tv show role playing games and other kind of things i myself am the host of cheers cast which covers my favorite tv show of all time cheers midnight the podcast hour which covers dc horror comics what else uh, give me those star wars looking at of all things go figure star wars i regularly have new features on fw presents which is sort of our anthology catch-all i'm currently starting up a new series on that which is looking at various comics drawn by gene colon who is probably my favorite comic book artist of all time and you can find all of those podcasts on itunes and now on spotify you can also support our network on patreon and so yeah if you like any of that or if you want to hear more from me, if you like the sound of my voice or the cut of my jib, anything like that, check out the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Woo! Yeah. I, like, we have to say Apple Podcast now, don't we? Like, isn't that the new thing? Yeah, yeah. But really. yeah, yeah. So so on, on that note, if anyone has any comments, questions, and or concerns, they can email me at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to check out the backlog of episodes, we have those over on the fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. If you enjoyed this show, I hope you consider checking out all of our other shows on the Fanholes Podcast Network. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC. The hunger is upon me. Signing off. Shalabal! Norton Brad was my real name. Had a job that I hated every day till that one day I told my boss to just shove that damn J-O-B because I found a place I could rest my head, maybe call my home. Trapped on this planet, I know. Found a bunch of other superpower people like before. Fought against evil on my silver surfboard. Because everybody wants the power cosmic. Skate across states, that's our department. I know alien races. Kind of scared when they think that the hell is there to cause fear. But I'm trying my best for the past mistakes. Try to do good through time and space. Because I've seen every star and I've seen every planet. But I always seem to come back to the same place. Well, maybe I can be your known and rad. Maybe I can give you what you never had. Make a wish on a shooting star And I can catch a wish right in my hand Maybe I can be your golden rat Show you every star that you saw to dad We can find adventure in the middle of space And always come back to the same place To Earth And just as long as you serve Let's go back to Earth That's where I met you first Yeah Back to Earth And just as long as you serve Let's go back to Earth Yeah one day saw a shooting star And you wished very hard for it to go far So far so the people of the galaxy could all Make a little wish when they saw But you didn't realize that it was just me Up in the sky so you see And I never stop And I never quit And you can leave every wish right here with me And I would take that wish to the ends of the galaxy So that every alien race would just have to see Some good, some bad, but I can't explain Cause humanity survived through the tragedy 
back then will mostly just stew When you see no one grab, then you're just food for Galactus But I'm so glad I met you, and I'm glad that you smiled when you saw me too Well maybe I could be your golden rat Maybe I could give you what you never had You can make a wish on a shooting star And I can catch a wish right in my hand Maybe I could be your golden rat from toy fair that excited you or anything you liked i watched the live presentation i mostly spent it making fun of the presenters <laughs> um with because we were we uh, I, there were two or three of us that were all like watching it at the same time so we i, I made a little facebook chat thread and we were talking about stuff whatever we were excited about i guess um it's weird like I, i'm conflicted because i feel like i want to like actually like kind of cull some of my collection because i feel like at this point it's kind of overwhelming and then they keep releasing you know improved versions of figures and i feel like i should like at least try to sell off or get rid of some of those ones that i don't use anymore before i go out and buy a bunch of new ones and then my other thing was it, it sounded like at least at some point that they wanted to up the prices on some of these things too and i i kind of feel like I don't know if 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 I start running into stores and it's like you know if that Shang Chi is like thirty dollars I you know yeah. what I mean like that that starts getting a little like you know it's like I I think because I I was buying figure arts and all this other kind of stuff and now I think I'm gonna like sell a bunch of those not because I don't like them but just because. I don't know. Like, it's weird. Like, sometimes it's, like, cool to have the options to do, like, swap out heads and to have a bunch of different hands and all that other stuff. But then also there's that part of me that's like, okay, well, at some point I'm probably just going to pick the one head and the one pair of hands, put it somewhere, you know, and, and call it a day. So it's like, do I really need all that other stuff, you know, like type thing? And so, like, you know, there, there's that kind of thing. And, and, and I, I found what I ended up doing with the figure arts was I kept all the boxes because there's so many hands and so many swap out parts and it's like i just kept them in the box and then i'm like well what good is it if they're just going to sit there in a box like maybe i should give it to somebody or sell it to somebody who actually wants to you know enjoy it you know or whatever so like that 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 so i i think i think i'll probably try to and and i think also the other thing that my takeaway is i i kind of don't like any of those well at least what I've seen. I don't like any of those DC McFarland figures. So I'm kind of happy about that because that means one, I don't want to spend any money on them. And two, I feel like, okay, cool. I have a DC classics collection. I'll, I'll, I'll call that to like the very best 
things that I want, you know, which means basically I've been trying to like get rid of all the movie mm-hmm. figures that I have, like through like over the years, just a- accumulating stuff or like video game figures, like stuff that doesn't really mean that much to me. Like I rather just have like the classic, you know, Marvel DC right. characters and stuff. So like, and seeing some of this stuff, I mean, like, I mean, I think we were excited because, you know, we're doing a Thunderbolts podcast, so like a Mach One figure, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Mach One, you know, things things like that. Like I I I I know me and 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 the guy, one of my podcast buddies that I was watching the show with, like because you know we always crack, we always make the joke like oh they're they're, they're like Hasbro's like the NSA listening on our Skype call because we you know I there was like we had outtakes of stuff where we were like, yeah, we really want a citizen V figure. And then the the episode came out like a month after they announced, <laughs> you know what I mean? But we had recorded it like months ago, you know? So it's like, we always laugh about that. And, and he's like, dude, they're totally listening to me. Nimrod build a figure rage. Like, come on, you know, like that kind of thing. So it's like, you know, th- those kind of figures like definitely get you excited. You know, what was weird though was I think the figure I'm most excited about that was announced is just that they have the uh, like Ramita eyes mm-hmm. Spider Man in that yep. vintage line like that I don't know I know that's dumb but I'm just like dude I want I want to like you know John Ramita like you know not the McFarlane eyed Spider Man like like I I'm kind of excited yeah, about yeah. that I like so. that too yeah. Yeah. yeah I I already pre ordered a few things from that um, I I uh, got the leader because I need a good Hulk villain um, oh, I got the okay. Captain Marvel. Um, I actually ordered two of the Hydra Soldier build of, or uh, army builders. Oh, yeah. oh, when when they went up yeah. or whatever. I, oh, that's I, cool. actually, I like yeah. what they're doing is they're releasing that as an army builder for a cheaper price point. It's only fifteen dollars, and yeah, I was yeah. like, I hope that's yeah, successful because yeah. I would like them to do that with other characters. Um, yeah, just just do yeah. a figure for yeah. like fifteen bucks like that. Oh, I would be. I, I, yeah. yeah um, and then I that. got just uh, I need um for the Star Wars vintage collection. Uh, uh, I got the Gonk Droid. So. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think I think of other things that I saw. Like uh, like I don't I don't buy too many of the standard Transformers things. But like the they they had like the the Quinnison and the and I was like oh that's kind of cool like like so that that was stuff that like. I was like, when I saw the price for it, though, I was like, what? $30? I'm like, is that American dollars? Like, $30? But I'm like, eh. I'm like, maybe I'll wait until it goes on sale or something like that. It was funny. I saw that um, the the X-Men, what do they call it? The Love Triangle or, you know, yeah, the Jean yeah. Grey, Cyclops Wolverine. And, and Wolverine thing in a GameStop. And I put it back because I was just like, Seventy dollars there, and then with California sales tax, that would have been seventy-seven dollars. You know, and I'm just like, I can't like that. You know, like I don't know, like some of that stuff. I'm like, I'm like, especially if I still see it on Amazon for like sixty something bucks or whatever. You know, so I was just like, I don't know. I I kind of want to be either a little more choosy or or maybe wait until things go on sale or something. But yeah, but but some of it, like I I was, you know, like I said, you, you see stuff and and. Like I think that that Spider-Man vintage yeah. stuff kind of cool, you know, the Gwen Stacy and the, the Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And all yeah, that yeah, kind of I, I've kind of I've started being that way too, just be a little bit more selective. Like what I'm like, I, I go to the store, I was like, wow, I would love to have that White Rabbit in my collection, but not for twenty dollars. <laughs> well, let's see if I can get mm-hmm. it a little bit cheaper. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the funny part is if you're not if you're not trying to build the the build of yeah, yeah the build of yeah. Build a figure, like a lot of that stuff goes on. Like I, I, it was funny. Like some people are like, 
you know, trying to just sell off the, right. the white rabbit for, you know, like 12 bucks or something, you know what I mean? And then you're like, oh, well, then maybe that's more attractive than paying, you know, $22 plus sales tax plus whatever, you know, like type thing. So I think it was funny, though, because I, um, I think I ended up, I, I bought Shang-Chi and Vulture at GameStop for way too much, but I was just excited to see them. So I bought, you know, for their overinflated prices and crazy California sales tax or whatever. And then I think I saw the superior. Well, I think I saw everybody at this con I went to, but like most of it was like con overinflated, you know, 35, 40 bucks for these figures that you knew weren't, you know, shouldn't be worth that much money. But the, the superior awk I think was, was 25. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's pretty much what I pay at GameStop. Like maybe I should get that. And then I was like, ah, no, no, no. And so, so I didn't, and then what, what cracked me up was on the drive home, I stopped at Walmart, found White Rabbit and the two video game guys and thought, well, maybe I should just buy these and, and try to build the figure. And then and then what was funny was I, I, I thought, oh, damn it, now I'm never going to find the superior whatever. But what was funny was in, in a Walmart, like there was like a, it was a really bad up box, but it, I looked at it and I'm like, I think it has all the parts in it. Cause you know, sometimes with Walmart, you gotta be like super careful. Cause half the time I go into Walmarts and it's like, you know, they take out the build a figure parts or replace it with a little bit of nonsense and stuff. So I was like looking at it cause it was all ripped up, but the actual tape wasn't punctured or whatever. And I looked at it and went, ah, I think it has everything. And so I ended up getting that. So I did build, Demogoblin, because I'm an idiot, but I was just like, you know, whatever. 